Connection for us is a big deal right now. And I think Jesus would say, you're right. But he might add this question or caveat, connection to what? Connection with whom? Because what we're connected to is ultimately going to shape and impact our lives. Now, last week, Kenny drew our attention to that little word in. Do you remember that? In. That little word is one of the keys to unlocking this passage. Jesus uses this over and over. In me, in me, in me. In is mentioned 14 times in this short 11-verse passage. In me, in me, in me. Casey Willax is a YouTuber. My kids are super into him. He's a snowboarder. He's a surfer. He's a skateboarder. My kids love him. And I actually have come to like him too. He's a really, really down-to-earth guy. Well, last winter, he kind of puts it out there on Instagram. Hey, I'm coming to the East Coast. I'm going to do some snowboarding. Can I crash somewhere? Is anybody on the East Coast out there that can let me crash there? I've even got a van. All I need is your driveway. So Silas, my son, direct messages him and says, yeah, you can stay with us. Dad, Casey's coming to stay with us. Is that cool? Who's Casey? Casey who? Yeah, he said yes. All Casey says is, cool, thanks. So we all think he's coming. Friends, I'm telling you, you you could have basically just given my kids a million dollars. Like, they were hyped. Casey Willax? Like, he's actually going to be here? He's going to sleep in our driveway? Like, this is big news. This is huge news. This is a big deal. Do you remember when the idea of Jesus coming to be with you, to stay with you, was a big deal to you? Do you remember that? Do you remember a time in your life where you thought about the deep connection that Jesus has provided for you, that he's in you, that he's come to stay with you, Do you remember when that used to thrill your heart? Jesus came into this world, right? He identified with us in every way. He worked. He slept. He laughed. He cried. He had people that liked him. He had people that didn't like him. Jesus took on your very identity in every way except without sin. Why? Just so that you wouldn't go to hell when you die? Jesus took on your very identity so that you would take on his He experienced all of life 
for every one of us so that we would experience the kind of life that he came to provide for us. He shared in all of our experiences that we might share in him. He came to stay with us that we might be connected with us on the deepest possible level. One of the writers on the book of John said, this is the essence of Christianity. When, everybody, when anybody says something like that, that should get our attention. Right? Really, the essence? Like the very core? If you boil it all down, this is the core of my faith? Union with Christ is the very essence of Christianity. Jesus coming to be in you to be in me. He initiates this union. He secures it by dying and rising again. And this union is fulfilled by our responsive love and our responsive obedience to Jesus. This union, being in Christ, is the essence of our faith. But so often, don't you? I forget that. But, friends, Ultimately, this passage is about being in Christ. If you're in him, your life is going to bear fruit. You can't be in Jesus and not. If we're in him and he is in us, that's how we live a life, a connection in life that's actually fruitful, life-giving, productive, successful, not as the world defines it, but as Jesus defines it. Being in Christ is what this whole passage turns on. Now, let's think a little bit more about what this means. This is kind of all introduction. I'm going somewhere, okay? So stick with me here. This idea of Jesus being a vine, like he's not just pulling that from anywhere, right? He's getting that from somewhere. Where is he getting that? He's getting it from the Old Testament. Israel is described in the Old Testament as a vine. God's people, God's nation, the nation he brings out of Egypt and plants in the promised land so that they might flourish. They're a vine. The prophets talk about this in terms of like God coming and looking at his vine, expecting to see some fruit, love, justice, equity, peace, worship. That's not what he finds. He finds idolatry. He finds oppression. He finds greed. He finds bribery. He finds all the things in Israel that he's not looking for. And so he disciplines them. He humbles them, all types of things. Listen to how Psalm 80 describes this. This is Psalm 80. It's probably the most succinct place in the Bible that talks about Israel as a vine as Jesus is getting at it here. I think we have it on the screen. Psalm 80 says this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Here is Israel being fruitful and abundant and prosperous as they're faithful to Yahweh. 
Why then, verse 12, have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. So here's the vine, Israel, being destroyed, being ravaged, withering. So the psalmist prays, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. Now listen to what the psalmist says. And for the son whom you've made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. You see what the psalmist is doing here? He's using two images for the one nation Israel. He says they're like a vine and they're also like a son. And when God's favor rests again on Israel, on this son of man, that's who's going to turn them back. That's who's going to give them life. That's who's going to cause them to be fruitful. So do you see what Jesus is saying here in John 15? I'm that vine. I'm that son of man. That's me. And if you're in me, then you will bear fruit. I'm the very fulfillment of all that Israel was meant to be but failed to be. I have come. I have obeyed. I have taken your identity upon myself. I will suffer. I will die. I will rise again. I'll complete the very mission that God has sent me to do. You see, so when we're in Christ, when we're in the vine, it does impact our individual personal lives. That's true. But you see, it's so much bigger than that. Jesus is going to go away, right? He's preparing his disciples for his departure. And he's saying the mission's not done yet. I'm going to go away and you're going to bear fruit. Look at verse 16. John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. See, our whole lives now are not only wrapped up in this personal relationship with Christ, the very presence of God, Christ in us, empowers us to bear fruit on the mission of God. Our lives are all wrapped up in this. Our identity in Christ means that we have the very presence of God in us so that as we go about the mission of God, he is the one that's bearing fruit through us. Now, if you're anything like me, that sounds really great. But like I'm just trying to get through today. With my head, I believe these things to be true, and they're true because God says they're true. Christ in us is the very presence of God and the mission through us that he's going to accomplish, just like Christie's doing, just like others are doing. The nations are to be reached for Christ. But 
how do you and I live out this truth on a day-to-day basis? Does it mean we all have to be like Christy? Does it mean we all have to be like the Goins? Does it mean we all have to be like the Hartzels? Some of us do. But all of us are not called to do that. So what does it mean? What do we pursue tomorrow morning when we get up? What do we pursue? What do we do? How do we live out this abiding in Jesus, this connection with Jesus? How do we do that? Well, Jesus gives us some very simple things. They're not complex. They're not easy, but they're not complex. So let's look at a few of these things, and we'll move through them a bit more quickly now. If you're a note taker, this is kind of my structure, okay? These are the the points, if you will, that I'm trying to make. What does it look like? What is involved as we seek to stay connected to Jesus, as we're in Christ? What does it mean for us? What does it involve? How does that look in our day-to-day lives? First, it involves spending time in God's Word. Not complicated. I'm not going to give you anything you don't already know. I'm going to remind you of truths that you probably have heard all your life. But here it is. Being in Christ, connected to Christ, involves spending time in God's Word. Now this makes sense because Jesus actually says you're clean because of how? What does the Bible say? Because of the Word that I've spoken to you. So the same powerful word, remember Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, and God said. That same powerful word of God is what gave you life in Christ. That's why you're in Christ. God's truth at some point in your life, through a friend or through a parent or through somebody, God's truth was communicated to you or you read it in the Bible. And that word, the word of God, the powerful word of God made you clean. It gave you faith. It brought you into Christ. That word is what gave you life. So Jesus is saying that same word you have to continue abiding in. The powerful, life-giving word of God. I think of Psalm 1. Right, This person, this, this picture is painted. We were talking about this in the class the other night, Wednesday night. Like Psalm 1 paints this beautiful picture of the man, the woman, who's delighting in the law of God. Right? He meditates on it day and night. And it says what? He's like what? A tree planted by streams of water, bearing its fruit, its leaf not withering. And all that he does, and all that she does, he prospers. Do you see what he's saying there? It's, it's the word of God active in us. It's, it's as our lives are shaped, our lives are molded, our thoughts are informed, our hearts are, are instructed. It's as God's word. God's word is what molds us and shapes us and fashions our lives so that we actually think God's thoughts after him. We begin to believe the truths that he's communicated to us and they transform our lives slowly over time. It's God's word in you. That's how we stay connected to Christ. Now, so often we get so distracted from that, don't we? Like we know that that's true. 
But we get so distracted, we, we focus so, mo- so much of our time and our energy on our careers, right? On our kids, on the right sports teams, on fantasy football. You know, you can just go right down the things that aren't in and of themselves bad. Like, there's nothing wrong with those things. I should focus on my wife. I should focus on my kids. But there's a sense in which when those things become primary, when I occupy all of my time with all the stuff of this life, I actually begin to distort those things, even good things. And what Jesus is saying, for those that are in Christ, Christ followers, your primary focus is not to be on those things. You need to abide in my word. Friends, are you taking the time? Are you spending time with Jesus, with this book open? I'm not asking that to condemn you. I'm just saying, Jesus is saying, if you want that life-giving connection, this is one of the ways that it gets done. You've got to spend time with me in my word. What else does connection involve? Connecting with Jesus, living this connected life with him. It involves prayer. He says it right here in verse 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, that's a stunning promise. Does that mean like I asked Jesus for a new car or a new house and more money? He's going to give it to me? That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is getting at here is when our minds are saturated with God's word, And as we're meditating on it, as we're learning more and more in our lives how to take God's word in, then we're actually responding to God from that word and talking to God about the very things that he's talking to us about. So we begin to care about the things that God cares about. We begin to think about the things that God thinks about. We begin to see the things that God sees because we're seeing them as he's showing them to us in his word. And so we talk to him about those things. I know. I didn't speak to my wife last night because your word tells me I'm to love her in a certain way. I failed to do that. I'm sorry, God. Vicki, I'm sorry. Give me help, God, to go and do that better. I yelled at my kids again, God. I got frustrated. And I know that I'm supposed to show them Christ. I didn't do that the right way. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for that? Would you forgive me for that? Help me, God to love them, to be patient with them, to be kind. My neighbor, his wife just died. God, I don't feel a type of love toward this man. I don't know how to connect with him. Would you help me? I know that you love him. Help me to have your love for him. Would you help me to love him? What's an idea? What what step can I take, God, to go and reach out to him in love? I know you love him. Give me your love. Do you see? Our minds, our time, when we're spending time before God, that translates into asking God for help to go do the very things that he's called us to do. We do this kind of stuff all the time. Do you guys remember the hip-hop artist's kid and play? Okay, good. Some of you older people don't know what I'm talking about, and some of you younger people don't know what I'm talking about. I'm actually in that age now. Some of you hate me for that, and some of you are understanding where I'm coming from. So kid and play. 
one of the dudes had that real tall hair. Remember him? They were hip-hop artists. They're like fun-loving guy. Well, my friends and I were all into kid and play, right? And if you were, if you were really kind of in that scene in like middle school, high school, you had a pair of skids. You remember skids? They, and if you were really cool, you had a pair of skids overalls and you let one of the straps hang down. Isn't it funny? Like when you look back at what we used to wear and think we were so cool, I look at pictures of myself and my kids are like, man, you are a dork. I'm going to say that about them too. But the, the point I'm making here is as you spend time with people, now I didn't know Kid and Play, but I spent a lot of time listening to their music. And as you spend time thinking about those things, like there's a whole, there's a putting on that you naturally do. You begin to put on, you begin to act out, you begin to be influenced. Your life is shaped by who you're in relationship with. I was shaped by them, I had the skids. I had the pants tied up with all my pins, like 40 pins, all tied up in the skinny leg jeans before skinny legs were a thing, right? We're shaped, we're molded by the things that we're in relationship with. Jesus is saying for the Christ follower, you are in me. I am in you. I want you to be shaped and molded as you spend time in my word, as you spend time praying, as you spend time asking about the things that are going on in your lives. As my will is revealed to you, your life is going to be shaped and molded to the way that I want it to look. You're going to bear fruit for me. That's what Jesus is calling for, for those of us in Christ. Time in his word. Time talking with God and prayer. What else does it involve? It involves obedience. Jesus says this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now remember, Jesus is the new Israel. He's the new vine. So under the old covenant, Israel was not very good at this, right? They didn't keep God's commandments. They oftentimes blew it. Under the new covenant, God said, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. That's what Jesus has been talking about. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you might walk in my ways. You might live my commandments. You might keep my commandments. That's what's involved about being in Christ. He's given you a, you're a new person now. He's given you a new heart. You've got a new spirit. Your identity has completely changed. Your old person is dead. You died with Jesus on the cross. You are dead. And the new man, the new woman that's alive, is alive in Christ by the power of the Spirit that's in you. So his calling you to obedience is not impossible. It's not legalism. It's not, it's not a thing that you cannot do. He has made it possible for all of us in Christ with the new nature that he's given to us. Now, the word love here is important because a lot of us get this mixed up. We think that i gotta, I got to act in a certain way to keep God's love. That sounds very legalistic. You know in the Bible that verb tenses are really important, right? It depends on what verb tense is being used. This verb is talking, and it talks about the love of God, the Father, for the Son. This is a love from eternity past. It's a love that began before time was even a thing. 
It's something that's completed in the past that has present consequences and future implications. So the love that the father has for the son is a completed love. It's done. It's, it's, it's a love that loves because it loves. And Jesus says, if you're in me, I love you that way. That's a completed love. It loves you because I love you because I'm love. And there's nothing that you can do to earn that. And there's nothing that you can do to lose that. However, in the same way, in the parent-child relationship, when one of my kids is not doing what I tell him or her to do, the enjoyment of my love is interrupted. They're never going to cease to be my child. That's done. I will always love them, and they will always be my son or my daughter. But for a moment in time, there's something now that's come between us, and we got to deal with that so that we can return to the experience and the enjoyment of our loving relationship with each other. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Some of us feel very disconnected with Jesus and with God right now, and it's simply, can we just be honest, it's simply because you are not doing what God is telling you to do. There's, there's, there's no other way around that. Right? You know that Jesus is calling you to do something. And you don't want to do it. And I can totally relate to that. But the joy that Jesus is calling you to have, the joy that he wants to give to you, it's not a feeling that you have before you obey. It's something that comes as you obey. Right? Just like when you get up, and you know you're supposed to go to the gym, or if you're in any type of exercise, if you're a runner, what have you, whenever, or any kind of discipline, if you know you're, you're trying to do this diet or you're trying to be more uh, intentional about time management, whatever, you know that a lot of times you don't feel like doing those things. It's, it's not the feeling that you're waiting for in order to get the joy from them. It's in the actual doing of the thing that you know you're supposed to do that that sense of satisfaction, Right? that sense of com completion, that, that joy that you get from doing the right thing, that's what Jesus is after here. So can I just encourage you, if there's something that God is calling you to do, you just know it. But you're kind of putting it off until you're, until you're feeling a kind of way about that. Obedience is not a feeling thing. Obedience is something that you do because you're his. Christ is in you. The Spirit of God is in you, and you obey because he's telling you to obey him. And you'll feel a certain way about that when it's done. The joy that he promises you will be yours. If you've ever obeyed Christ, you know what I'm talking about. It might not be something that you want to do, but it's something he's calling you to do, and the joy that's waiting for you, the joy that's promised to you, will be sweet and it will be certain. Do what God is calling you to do. Okay, so those are, these are all things I'm saying. That these, these are the, the practical ways that we connect with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. These are the things that we do, you might say. What, what about something else that's done to us? If you caught that first couple verses, you see how God is described as the vine dresser, the, the gardener. 
and he takes away branches, and he prunes branches. Jesus is making here the distinction between the true follower of Christ, the true believer, and the false one. So think Judas and the rest of the apostles. Judas is gone now. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you're in me, you're going to bear fruit. But part of being in me involves this pruning process from God the Father. And let's just be honest, none of us like pruning. Vicki is a real green thumb, my wife. And she's, she's real comfortable with me staying right by her side when she's doing the pruning, just as long as I'm following her directions. So we have tomato plants, and she allows me to pick off the suckers, I think they're called, like in the elbow of the tomato vine. You've got to pick out those little suckers so that the sap and the energy gets to the right branches and you have tomatoes. She doesn't like it so much when she, when she sees me come out with my trimmer, my weed whacker. We have gotten into countless arguments in our front yard because inevitably I mow down something I'm not supposed to mow down. She's not okay with that. She gets real nervous when she comes home and I've got my chainsaw out. Like this summer. So we've got these arborvitae bushes. They needed to be cleaned up a bit. So <clears throat> I got my chainsaw out. She was gone for the day. Now when she came home and saw the chainsaw and then took one look at the arborvitae bushes, she just about had a panic attack. She's not down with pruning with chainsaws. Sometimes I think that's how we view God in times of pruning. Like he's this chainsaw God and he's coming to hack us up and it hurts and we get angry with him and we get all anxious and nervous because he's doing things in our lives that feel like a chainsaw just came through and wrecked havoc. And we're hurt. And we're confused. And we're in pain. There's no possible way that God could love me and treat me this way. What are you doing, God? Have you ever felt like that? The pruning process as a Christian has got to be one of the most painful experiences we endure. But it is an experience that we endure. Have you ever seen one of those bonsai trees, like the Mr. Miyagi trees? My wife and I went to the flower show in Philly. And they've got them all lined up. Like 10, 12 trees. And to look at them, you would think, they're so tiny. Like, how old's that one? A couple, like, a couple months? Oh, that one's 80 years old. This meticulous, like they're beautiful. Have you ever sat down and looked at one of these things? They are meticulously crafted. Like the time and the attention to detail and the care that these horticulturalists spend manicuring these things, 
pruning them, cutting a branch here, cutting a branch there. That is the work of God in your life. He's like a horticulturist that's pruning one of those precious bonsai trees. He's not hacking away with a chainsaw. He's not coming in with an axe. He has your particular heart in his mind, in his hands. These trials that you're going through, they're not arbitrary. This is not just the whim of some thing in the universe that's allowing these things to be. This is the mighty hand of God pruning, cutting, trimming. Why? So that you would actually bear more fruit. It's for your good. It's for his glory. It's the very purpose that you live. He's pruning you to satisfy and complete the very purpose for which he has made you. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's the kind of tender care that our Father gives to us. He doesn't have a chainsaw out. He has great skill and great wisdom and great love for you. You're going to be okay. Sometimes walking with Christ feels like you're walking next to a cliff. And sometimes you realize, oh, it's not a cliff that I'm walking next to. It's a wide open field. You're going to be okay. God has you right where he wants you, and you're going to be okay. He's going to walk you out into a wide open field. It is hard right now, but in time you will see that his purpose and plan for you is wise, it's good, and it's loving. And the fruit that he's producing in you right now is a fruit of endurance. It's the fruit of perseverance. It's the fruit of faith, trusting him for his good pleasure and his good purposes. Let me share this quote with you. I was really affected by this this week as I was thinking about some of you and even some of the pruning I think God's doing in my own life. Bruce Milne, this is a great commentary. He says, pain produces. Pain produces. This is one of the primary laws of spiritual growth. It's commonplace both of horticulture and the Christian experience that the harder the pruning, the harder the pruning, the greater the fragrance and beauty which will later be released. I love that. Do you feel like you're being pruned hard right now? The harder the pruning, the greater the beauty and the fragrance to be released. Our Heavenly Father is hungry for the fruit from his vine, and in order to produce it, he'll often, in his pruning, cut deeper than we should ever have chosen. But at the harvest, the sower and the reaper will be glad together. Friends, you're going to be okay. And in time, you will rejoice with God as your pruner because you'll see the fruit that has been born in your life as a direct result of the trial that you walk through. That's what he promises here.
We're going to close in worship so the band can return. I was thinking about how I would, how would I sum this all up? I'm trying to land the plane now, right? How do you sum all this up? What is the main point that Jesus is trying to communicate? Like, what am I supposed to hear? What am I supposed to remember tomorrow morning when I get up? Here's my best attempt for all of you and for myself. In Christ, we bear fruit for Christ by staying connected to Christ. In Christ, we bear fruit for Christ by staying connected to Christ. You see, it's Christ in us that's responsible for the fruit. We don't, preoccup- we don't preoccupy ourselves with the fruit. What we preoccupy ourselves with is staying connected to Jesus. As you stay connected with Christ, which is true of you because you're in Christ, your connection with him will result in great fruitfulness in your life. It's already happening. I think the goal here is to have that type of connection, like like my kids. To have a type of connection with Jesus that as soon as I'm tempted, as soon as I fall in sin, as soon as I feel that anxious feeling, as soon as I start to be overwhelmed once again in life, as soon as I'm confronting something that seems so much bigger than me, I don't know what to do or where to go. The the moments when I just want to escape, just want to get away from it all. I'd be like my kids and I would see those moments. Wait a second, I think I just got disconnected. Time to run back to Jesus. Time to run back to him. Time to reconnect with him because that's how I'm gonna move forward in the power of his spirit, controlled by his word and experience the very rest and the non-anxious presence that Jesus wants his followers to have. That's joy. That non-anxious contentment that God's with me and things are going just as they ought to go. I want that rest for us. I want that rest for myself. We get it by staying connected with Christ. Let's worship him.